Hey, everybody. How are you guys doing? I hope you guys are doing great. Today is Friday, October the 2nd, and it's Meet My Friend Friday. You guys know that I love to have people on the show who are out there in the culture making a difference for the gospel. And today I've got a special treat for you. Seth Gruber is here with me today, and we're going to have an awesome conversation about what it means right now to stand for life in the culture. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. So today is the 2nd of October. You guys know what that means, right? That means that MomStrong International is getting ready to drop a brand new Bible study. Uh, The scripture writing challenge for October started yesterday. And so if you guys are not members at MSI yet, you're really going to want to do that. I will be taking you through the book of Revelation for the next three months. We're going to kind of start off with a little bit of a slow flyover of the book of Revelation. We'll spend the first three days next week reading through and just talking about it. And then we're going to start to do a deep dive. So you guys are going to love this. This is one of my favorite uh, studies that I've ever written. And uh, I want to encourage you, join me at momstrongernational.com. It's not too late to do it. Now's a great time to get in on the front end of that study. Also, all the new swag is up in the store. So you're going to want to check that out too. Um, Sweatshirts and those tunics that you guys love so much. And they say, wait for it, people get ready. They say people get ready on the front and the back has a verse on it says the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. You guys, the Lord's coming back. Jesus is coming back all through the scriptures. Uh, The Old Testament alludes to it. The New Testament absolutely speaks of the rapture and uh, we're looking forward to that. It's an incredible day. And in the meantime, God calls us to be ambassadors for him, to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves, to uh, be a light in a very dark world. And uh, I'm always telling you guys here at the show that my hope when I'm uh, podcasting and speaking and traveling around the country is to light a fire so that each one of you goes into your own communities and you set those places ablaze for the gospel. And one of the reasons I'm so excited about today's guest uh, is that he is doing exactly that. I was privileged to meet Seth for the first time in uh, at Calvary Chapel. You guys remember I did uh, Come Back California? What a ride that was. I told my husband later, that was like the Olympics of my speaking career because you have to get out in front of an audience that's not actually there. And I hate that as a general rule. And I was watching Seth because he went before me, you know, it's kind of like, you know, everybody's walking the plank and I watched him and I was like, dude, that guy's on fire. Uh, And he is on fire because God has given him a passion for the unborn. Seth is the West Coast director of Life Training Institute, which is an elite team of pro-life speakers. They equip and train students and Christian leaders basically to be persuasive and uh, gracious on behalf of the unborn. And I loved his message at Comeback California. I'm so thrilled he's here. Seth Gruber, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks, Addy. I like that uh, meet, meet My Friend Fridays. That's, that's good. It's good. It's good to be on here with you. <laughs> It's fun to have you. We've been uh, doing, We, you know, you're going to fit right in. We've got awesome guests who have been on the show with me before, and all of them are uh, passionate about something, and you really are passionate about defending the unborn, which is, oh my goodness, so needed in the culture today. But before I jump into all the questions I have for you, uh, tell everybody, because this is your first time on my show. I can't even believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to tell everybody kind of where you guys are in California. Hey, mm-hmm. hey. Yeah. And uh, you've got you've got one child and one on the way. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, my wife and I have been married for just over four years. Our mothers were actually roommates in college. Uh, so that's how we got to know each other. 
That's um, awesome. Awesome story. <laughs> yeah, grew up in different states, but then, you know, connected when we were older. So, um, yeah, we have uh, we have a son. His name is Cedar. Um, Cedar Justice, a uh, nice, strong name that we felt God gave us. That he'll be, is. He'll be three on Christmas. Um, so he's born Christmas morning. And then mm. we have a baby due in December. And that will well, be a girl. So uh, we just, we decided uh, that uh, we were going to embrace the uh, the bigotry of two genders and, uh, and, and determine <laughs> that she was a girl. So uh, there you go. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I grew up in, in LA County. I was homeschooled through eighth grade, actually. So uh, love all that you're doing on that front. So important now more than I think ever before. And, yeah. then, and that was kind of the comeback California theme, wasn't it? I mean, just trying to wake people up to say, hey, your kids are actually being indoctrinated in the public schools right now. That's that's exactly right. Yeah. And we've seen evidence of that, right? We There was, uh, you know, how the left sometimes uh, sort of let's let's reality flip and, exa- and, you know, that's a quiet part out loud. And we, we've seen that from some teachers and unions across our uh, districts, rather, across the country who do not want parents to be allowed in their children's own room while the child is uh, tuned into the virtual classroom because they don't want them to hear exactly what they're teaching and what they're saying. That's right. Um, and anyways, that's a whole other conversation. But It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, I, I grew up um, in a Christian home, in a Christian family. I was homeschooled, of course. And I, I very much grew up in pro-life waters, if you will, as well. I've kind of been swimming in these waters for a long time. And I like to say that I began my pro-life um, activism um, as a fetus, <laughs> if you will. My mother was actually directing a pregnancy resource center in Azusa, California, in LA County, when she was pregnant with me. She became the director of that clinic uh, in her late 20s and then stepped wow. down in her early 30s when she had me. So I was, I was doing little backflips in the womb while my mom was uh, saving babies and uh, ministering to, mm-hmm. to women. And That's families. an amazing legacy. Yeah, yeah, I'm very grateful for it. So then mm-hmm. I went to public high school, did my senior project on abortion. I'm going to give you kind of your listeners just a fly over here. Um, and my, my high school, Whittier High School, which is Nixon's actually alma mater in L.A. County, Whittier's a suburb there. And they told me, well, Seth, you can't pick the topic of abortion. Um, that's on our, our banned topic lists for, for seniors. Oh, for um, goodness sake. Yeah, yeah. So guess what? I, I threatened a lawsuit. I was, I was 17, 18 years <laughs> old. And I said, you can't do that. Right. This this is the benefit of being homeschooled, right? I actually know my freedoms. Right. I have a sense of liberty. I know um, the purpose of government. And so uh so they kind of they weren't expecting that, right? They were like, um, what? <laughs> and uh, and I got no backlash from the school after that. In fact, my freshman year at college, I went back to my, my high school's website and I went to go download that senior project guidelines list of the topics you can't pick. And guess what? It wasn't there anymore. Um, <laughs> so I did that. And then I had to do volunteer hours at a somewhere that associated with your topic selection, right? So I had picked abortion. So I ended up volunteering for a pro-life organization in Orange County that I later was a paid intern with during my college years and that my mother sat on the board of directors on in the, in the, uh, late 80s, early 90s. And the first thing they had me do, Heidi, was to scan 300 images, ready, of first trimester aborted children. Now, oh, I no. often say that, that pro-life Christians know abortion is bad, but they don't know how bad, right? Pro-lifers know abortion is bad, but many of them have never seen it. And I often tell pro-choice students, I say, guys, it's easy to be pro-choice when you've never had to look at what that choice looks like. Right. And so yeah. the unborn is not only the greatest bleeding victim in America, Heidi, but they're also the most hidden victim. Right. That's not to say there's not other hidden victims and horrific things that happen in sex trafficking and whatnot. Absolutely. But I'm just saying the unborn is the greatest um, 
bleeding victim and the most hidden victim, right? We kill a million of yeah. them a year and it's happening in a womb designed to hold them that nobody else sees but the abortionist. And so yep. staring at that, Heidi, for two days straight as I scanned them on their high quality scanner and categorized them in their database was really the turning point of my life after choosing to follow Jesus. And I knew that I could not not do anything, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who fought his own genocidal country, said not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. God will not hold us guiltless, right? So there's there's no such thing as moral neutrality on the slaughter of baby image bearers. And so I went to Westmont College, Christian College in Santa Barbara, California. We can get into that. It's a joke of a Christian college now. But I, started I was just going to say, I'm yeah. pretty sure they signed on to the Christian Statement of Science and Pandemic Times. But yeah, let's yeah. get back to it. Yeah, unbelievable. So I, I founded, Heidi, the first and only pro-life club at Westmont College. There had never been one before, right? So, and I, I affiliated with Students for Life, who, who I now do some, I do speaking with, I do training for them. Um, excellent organization. But I, I was a Students for Life, um, I guess, you know, chapter member. And I started the chapter there at Westmont College. Well, I learned very quickly that my alma mater did not take a position on abortion. So if you go to Westmont College, whose motto, you ready? Whose motto is Christus Prumatum Tenens. What does that mean? It means Christ preeminent in all things. Christ preeminent in all things. Apparently, Heidi, mm -hmm. not the prenatal Christ. Um, you right. see, they take right. a position on the biblical view of marriage and the biblical view of a sexual ethic. And if you violate those guidelines as a student at Westmont College, so if you're sleeping around, right, um, then you can be kicked out of the college. But if you sleep around and create a new human being and they kill that human being, apparently Westmont has nothing to say about that. And so I had wow. asked Westmont to bring this educational display from that organization that I used to intern with to Westmont that does contain graphic imagery. I, I petitioned as a club president to do that three times, three years in a row, freshman, sophomore, junior year. Every year they said no. So my junior year, I said, forget this. And I stood on campus by myself with smaller handheld signs. Now, typically I wouldn't do that. I didn't want to do that, but I was convinced that Westmont was hiding the horror of abortion from students. I talked to people in science classes and philosophy classes, and I knew that if the topic did come up, it came up tangentially, and the professor didn't say, you know, this is wrong. We as Christians have to understand about the value of life. These are image bearers of God. It's wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. No, it's your classic academic gray area. We want to welcome all positions. And so that's amazing. long story short, the president of the college ends up sitting down with me. He's very angry because I went on national radio broadcasting, conservative media content who covered what I did. And he's getting bad PR from people all around the country. And I told him, you need to take a position on abortion, Dr. Gail Beebe, who still sits as the president there. Why don't you take a position on abortion? And Heidi, he looked me in the face and he said, well, Seth, there are a lot of issues and you can't expect oh us goodness. to take a position on all of them. So creating a moral equivalency between slaughtering a million babies a year and, I don't know, universal health care. And there's just so something. many things to talk about. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, so, it's slaughtering a million babies a year. Yeah. You know, we got – there's so many things, yeah. Seth, so many things. So that's what catapulted me into the, into the pro-life movement was really seeing abortion and then the apathy of our Christian leaders in the church, right? Francis Schaeffer once said that every abortion clinic ought to have a sign out front that says open with the permission of the church of Jesus Christ. And oh it was goodness. encountering that apathy in the institutions, Heidi, that are supposed to be training up the next generation of Christian leaders yeah. to be salt and light. Mm -hmm. And they treat it like, ready? Like Christians treated the enslavement of blacks in the 1850s yeah. as just, yeah. well, we can't take an issue on that. So that's what catapulted me into the pro-life movement. And then that's when I joined Life Training Institute as their West Coast director when I graduated. Well, we're still seeing, it's amazing to me that you, you brought up Westmont because I think there's a lot of people listening to this right now 
whose kids are going to be coming up, you know, in, into their, their college years here pretty soon. Yep. And I always say, first thing parents need to know is probably it's not a good idea to send your kid to college. Let, right. Let's just start there because the colleges are a joke right now, uh, particularly liberal universities, liberal arts. But honestly, you can't tell. So let's say the university says they're Christian. That doesn't mean anything anymore. That's right. And you're certainly finding this is true at Westmont. Uh, it's certainly true where my husband and I went to Bible college. And I'm I'm interested to know when you encounter students on college campuses, Christian college campuses, what are you typically finding at a university like Westmont, which should have, I mean, they obviously they should be taking a position. What do you find when you when you talk to these students? Do they know about abortion? I'm assuming they grew up in it. Uh, what do you typically find? Yeah. So I do speak in Protestant and Catholic high schools all around the country, and as well as Christian universities, um, secular universities as well. But oftentimes I am speaking to Christian students. And one of the most sobering realities for me, Heidi, in my career, which I've devoted to this cause, has been the how unequipped our young people are to engage in these cultural wars, right? So the, yeah. the, the pro-life movement, Heidi, has never had the church on their side. And the reason we've never had the church on our side is because we've never had the pastors fully on our side, except for people like Jack Hibbs, who's a national treasure, who we all love. The reason we've never had our yep, pastors yep. on our side is because, guess what? We have never, the institutions where they're being educated and trained that, so be that a seminary, right, for higher education, um, a Bible college, or Christian undergraduates, right, or Christian mm-hmm. high schools, go back all the way to Christian high schools. The place where so many of our Christian leaders were educated from the time they were 14 to 40 um, did very little, if anything, to include very serious, theologically robust training on how to think about abortion and how to engage. Meanwhile, the other side, Heidi, is doing all that they can to equip the next generation to think about exactly abortion right. as reproductive yep. justice, as Julian Castro, that ridiculous presidential failed uh, candidate, said, right? Reproductive justice, reproductive health care. In fact, which he also wanted for uh, transgender. That's right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For transgender, <laughs> which I thought was so amazing. He's like, we're yeah. going to give transgender women access to abortion. And I was like, Right. Can you hear yourself? I know, that, like, that was hilarious. Exactly. Oh and my word. Right. So he said, he said reproductive justice, right? And so anyway, but this type right. of euphemistic bigotry is par for the course for the left. And they are so committed to reaching the next generation. They understand that the fight ready for the future of America is the fight over the current generation. And, and yep. churches have just lost that understanding, you know, but, 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 but yeah, we're called to what, not just make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but what, and then teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. <laughs> and, and so, and then yeah. Jesus in his brilliance in the New Testament goes, oh, by the way, let me summarize all that I have commanded for you. All the law and the prophets hang on these two, love the Lord, your God, and love your neighbor as yourself. So if the unborn is our neighbor, then they have to be included in the class of human beings that we're called to protect. And the unborn is the only class of human beings that it is currently legal to kill. But that Mm. type of training theologically is not happening in our major institutions. And to go back to your question, Heidi, I know this because I go to these schools and that you want to know the number one responses. I want your listeners to really understand the importance of this. And hopefully it's a wake up call for all of us too. I I love it. So get off the bench, right? Is that the, the number one thing these schools tell me, ready? These are Protestant and Catholic high schools. They tell me our students said that they had never been given 
the responses and tools to defend their pro-life beliefs before. Or something like, this was the first talk that I ever heard on how to defend my pro-life beliefs. Or this was the first pro-life speaker our high school has ever had. (laughs) I mean, it's just shocking. And sometimes they've had the local Mm -hmm. pregnancy resource center and that is beautiful and that's important and they should. But usually they're talking about the clinic services and what they do for women. Whereas I'm talking about why everyone should be pro-life, why the pro-life position is true and reasonable to believe, and why the pro-choice position and worldview is just another form of bigotry. As, as Scott Klusendorf, my boss, once said, we used to discriminate on the basis of skin color and ethnicity in our country, um, and we still do at times. But today with elective abortion, we discriminate on the basis of size, level of development, mm. location, and dependency. We've simply swapped one form of bigotry for another. So I articulate those ideas to young people, and they've never heard it before. So then we are losing our kids before they get to college. So then when they Mm -hmm. encounter these bad ideas in college, they crumble and they're not prepared and they embrace flowery sounding ideas, right? This is the idea of euphemism. This is why they call abortion reproductive health care. That all sounds great, but it reflects a much deeper and sinister worldview. So we have got to get involved. We've got to equip our young people and we've got to start preaching the full counsel of God from our pulpits before all generations, but particularly the posterity of our country. Well, and you and I were talking about this when you were in uh, California with me at Comeback California, just this idea of of what the truth is being really veiled from our pulpits and not, we are not teaching the whole counsel of God. And in fact, what happens is so many times you don't see, I mean, they might, maybe there's sanctity of life Sunday. Okay. So we mm-hmm. have sanctity of life Sunday and we say, Hey, 40 days for life. Right. And we invite the people to come in from the pregnancy resource centers. They should be talking about this every single Sunday in the churches say, Hey, what are you guys doing to Amen. speak for those who cannot speak for themselves? And instead what we see is cowardice in the pulpits. Instead, what we see is pastors who said, Oh no, that's political. And it's not political. And and actually, for goodness sake, even if it was political, I'd be like, hey, how about we start talking about policy? That's not a bad idea, right? right. Amen. Thank you, Heidi. And you know, you know what? I'm so glad you brought this up um, because I, I think I think we should talk about this right now. You're probably aware of Tim Keller's recent comments on the Christian and his or her involvement in politics. Um, yes, because, you should. I don't have it in front of me, but you should quote him if you've got it, because oh, that will. was unbe- that was unbelievable. <laughs> oh, I will. Yes. And and for those of your listeners who tuned in to hear you at Comeback California, if they tuned in early, they would have caught my message where I talked exactly about this. But listen, before I say this, like for your listeners, like I love Tim Keller. Okay, He's done incredible things for the proclamation of the gospel. He's been called the C.S. Lewis of the 21st century. I have some bones to pick with him, but I, I would I would never have. I guess, lambasted him in the way that I am now because, because he went too far, right? Now he's, now he's attacking first principles, um, such as the right to life. And while he'll pay lip service to the pro-life movement, he'll turn around and stab unborn children in the back. Not literally, of course, okay, but figuratively. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And so Mm -hmm. Tim Keller um, 
just came out on Facebook. We're talking like two weeks ago. This happened like three days yeah. before the Comeback California event. Right. <laughs> so I, I just did right. the intro to my talk because I said this. I was going to say that gave you like yeah. an extra 15 minutes exactly. to talk about. I was like, this is a <laughs> bombshell and I have to include this. And so he goes on Facebook and here's what he says, Heidi. He says, he says, you know, the Bible, um, there's a whole bunch of things that the Bible doesn't speak to, right? The Bible tells me to love the immigrant, but it doesn't tell me how many legal immigrants to let into the U.S. each year, right? And he uses some other examples. And what he's trying to say is he's trying to say, um, you know, we can understand the the sort of the core spiritual nature of an issue, but like be, the Bible doesn't like tell us how to address those issues. And so therefore, you know, there's broad room for disagreement and and in and how we address certain issues. But then he gets to abortion in his in his Facebook post. And he says, he says, the Bible tells me that abortion is wrong and a great evil, but it doesn't tell me the best way to decrease or end abortions. He says, uh, the current political parties offer a potpourri of different positions on this, meaning abortion, and many, many other issues, many of which the Bible does not speak to directly. So then he says, when it comes to politics, the Christian has, ready, quote, liberty of conscience, right? Oh, that made my head explode. Liberty of conscience. Ah. And then he, he, he goes on to say that, uh, that Christians cannot say to other Christians, no Christian can vote for, or every Christian must vote for. And then he says, unless you can find a biblical command to that effect. Now, for my full treatment of this issue, uh, your listeners can check out my podcast, Unaborted with Seth Gruber. My episode on Monday of this week was literally called, ready, What Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Pastor Tim Keller Have in Common. Um, very edgy title, but I, I think I make a pretty good case for what, what that commonality point is. And so for the yep. full treatment of this, your listeners can check out that episode. But um, I, I responded saying, well, no, actually, Tim, we can we can tell Christians who to vote for and not vote for when it comes to first principles, when it comes to life itself. So what he's essentially yep. saying is that political parties are created equal because he he said you have liberty of conscience. And so when it comes so when it comes to policies, when it comes to voting, when it comes to political affiliation, he says the Christian has liberty of conscience. So what are we to take from that? I guess Keller would have actually defended the liberty of Christians in 1850 America to vote for the Democratic Party, which was the party of slavery, and the KKK, because brother, brother, the Bible doesn't tell us the best policies yeah, to end slavery. That's right. I, guess- I don't see anything in the. I don't see anything in there on the KKK. I mean, Jesus didn't talk about it. Exactly. So you guys, are, you know, yeah. so you're free to choose. Right. Wild. Right. Yeah. Liberty of conscience. And so then, then someone might say, right. And I just, I just wrote an article on this, but someone might say, well, you know, Seth, come on, you can't compare those. Like. Yeah, abortion's not great, but that was different, right? No, it's not different because abortion is wrong for the same reasons that slavery was wrong. It dehumanized image bearers of God while legalizing their slaughter or mistreatment. They're wrong for the same reasons. And Mm -hmm. and so therefore, because they're wrong for the same reasons, right, and because we have human equality— which begins when we're human. And when do we become human? The moment of conception. And so because of that, you should be on board with the same type of policy prescriptions and solutions, political solutions, to end abortion that you would obviously be on board with for addressing slavery. And the, the irony gets even better, Heidi. It's unreal. He wrote, Tim Keller wrote a piece in the New York Times a couple years ago that gets shared every um, sort of local congressional election season. It's called, How Do Christians Fit Into a Two-Party System? They Don't. That's the name of the article. And people just eat it up because they're like, yes, the gospel is not Republican. The gospel is not Democrat. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's true. But then he moves from that premise to defend political neutrality yeah. on abortion. But in that article, he lambasts he he destroys 
the Christians in the 1850s America who did nothing on slavery. In fact, in that article, Heidi, he literally says, this is unreal. He, he says that, to, that when Christians were refusing to be political in the 1850s, they were actually supporting the status social quo, the social status quo, which was slavery. And then he says to not be political is to be political. So he's actually, he was attacking the apathy of Christians during slavery in America for refusing to get involved politically to protect their black image bearers of God. So... Well, is your head exploding yet? <laughs> well, what it is, it's it's the hypocrisy and he he is on the left, all right? So, and I've mentioned this several times uh on my podcast. Okay. Uh, Tim Keller is not politically neutral. He is a progressive. And uh, to me, and I've said this before and I know it makes people upset, but I there it's incompatible. Like the Democrat platform incompatible with Christianity. If you're if you're going to be pro-choice, please for the love, don't call yourself a Christian. At least don't do it publicly. And I believe that what uh, Tim Keller is doing through the Gospel Coalition, uh, especially in the middle of the Rona, all these things that he's taken several positions recently. If you haven't checked out uh, that statement on science and pandemic times, Seth, you got to check it out. It's amazing. I mean, it's just this twisting of scripture. So basically they give this whole, you know, this this apologetic for why Jesus would wear a mask. So it basically says, you know, therefore, because of my faith in Jesus, I will get a vaccine. Therefore, and then they they list scripture. It is such a wrong application and it is so wrong headed. It borders on heresy. And when I see uh, Tim Keller, who really is the engine, and I I agree with you. I've had a lot. I mean, I love a lot of what Tim Keller has written. I, I own several of his books. Um, we have watched him for years and been very encouraged, but in the last probably five years, I feel like he's really gone off the rails Uh, in terms of policy. And I don't know if it's like, he lives in New York City and it's starting to like melt his brain. I don't actually know what's going on. But uh, Christians who are discerning, you know, just because, and we see this with Christian women teachers right now. I mean, I'm not going to, but I could sit here for 15 minutes and and list about 10 of them right off the top of my head. Who I'm just like, warning sign. Yeah, warning, 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 danger, danger. And just because somebody was solid in the past doesn't give them a, a pass for the future, Christians need to be Bereans. We need to be discerning. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm, I applaud you for, for uh, calling out uh, Keller because uh, Christians need to do that. I mean, that's what we're called to do, right? As iron sharpens yes. iron. I feel like yeah. uh, somebody's not doing that with Mr. Amen. Keller. I mean, he had, I, I literally referred to it as the wokeification of Tim Keller. I mean, and, and, you know, if this was yes. just, if this was just a disagreement on, you know, like, uh, the role of women in leadership in the church or the practicing of right. gifts, which are important conversations. I'm not saying that like they're yep. not important, but if it was something like that, I wouldn't be lambasting him in the way that I am. But like he, yep. he's attacking yep. first principles and like, oh my gosh, Heidi, you and your listeners, right? Well, this you, is you literally guys, life and death. Yeah. You guys it saw that, that thing, right? Where recently it, it was actually from 2016. It was a panel he sat on, on race in New York City, but it resurfaced yes. and people were sharing it. And he literally said, like, well, studies have basically shown that if you have white skin, your life is worth about a million dollars over the course of a lifetime. So you did nothing to deserve this, he says, right? And I played this clip in, in my Monday's episode of, of the show. And and so then he goes on to say that even if you didn't play a role in, in, in what he refers to, right, as systemic racism, of course, he can't name the policy that's in the system, but whatever. He says um, that... Right. that you bear responsibility, even if you didn't contribute to the system of evil or do anything to advance it, 
you're guilty by your skin color and you have an, an obligation spiritually. He says, he says, the Bible says that you have an obligation to end it. Okay. So let's not get into a conversation about, you know, whether systemic racism is real or not. Let's just take what he says at face value. If that is true, right? And, and apathy is itself sin, right? And not engaging is itself sin. Even if I didn't contribute to the evil in question, then how in the, how in the world oh, can just... he defend political neutrality of the Christian on abortion, which is actual systemic evil, right? It's actually a mm-hmm. system and institution built around the legalization and state-sanctioned slaughter of a million image bearers a year. And you want to talk about systemic racism, a study by Protecting Black Life found that 80% of Planned Parenthood's surgical abortion facilities are located within walking distance of majority black neighborhoods. And the Planned Parenthood mm-hmm kills more black lives in two weeks than the KKK lynched in a century, fulfilling Margaret Sanger's dream of less black people. And over 340,000 unarmed black lives are murdered through abortion every year. Meanwhile, 15 unarmed black men were shot in 2019 by the police, according to the Washington Post, and unarmed does not mean not dangerous. So by Keller's own standard, if we're responsible for systems of evil that target image bearers of God because we're called to love our neighbor, even if we didn't contribute to the evil in the first place, then obviously we have a political duty to use the political tools given to us on as we stand on the shoulders of giants who bled and died to give us those political tools, which puts political power in the hands of the people, which makes America so exceptional. So we can use those tools to design the type of society that we want to that protects all human beings. But no, apparently that's lost on Tim Keller, right? The Bible says he wow. who knows the right thing to do, but fails to do it for him. It is sin. And I, yeah. I would make the point that it is the right thing for Christians to use the political tools we've been given that no other country has had like we have, and to use those to restore personhood and legal protections to the unborn. But apparently, uh, I guess the school of wokeness uh, can't acknowledge that fact. So it's very hard. Yeah, the wokeness, the whole, the whole wokeness. It it make it's making me crazy. And as you you rightly pointed out, you know, we have a responsibility. Really, this the political tools that have been given to us. The very fact that the church has disengaged from politics, that we have disengaged from the policy making process, has brought us to the point where we are right now. So we have a weak we have a weak nation spiritually, definitely morally. Uh, it's getting weaker by the minute. And one of the reasons I love of uh, Pastor Jack Hibbs so much is he's one of the very few pastors. You 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 touched on this a few minutes ago, and I kind of want to uh, uh, swing back around to it. He's one of the very few pastors that is actually willing to step into the fray. I thought it was interesting that you pointed out that one of the big weaknesses in the pro-life movement has been the unwillingness of pastors to talk about abortion from the pulpits and to move their people from a position of neutrality and position of apathy to action. And really that's what that's, I mean, that's off the bench. That's what I've spent my lifetime trying to do, but they've also been silent on the issue of education. They're largely silent on the issue of gay marriage, largely silent on the issue of the platforms themselves. And what you hear is, oh, the Johnson Amendment. What you hear is uh, separation of church and state. What you hear is, well, we could lose our 501c3. Well, you know what I started saying a while ago? I'm like, if your 501c3 is going to tie up your tongue, give it back. That's right. Give it back. Because what we've done is we've allowed the government to silence us for money. And that's really what it is. That's exactly right. Yeah, we have, I think, I think America's, many of America's pastors have created an idol out of their, out of their tithers, right? And so if you address yes. certain issues, you know, you might lose uh, a, a decent portion of your tithing, particularly if you're 
Tim Keller in New York City were probably massive numbers of attendees or registered Democrats. You can't you can't yeah. demand that they adopt political responsibility, which flows from their spiritual responsibility to love our neighbors, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And as Proverbs 24 says, hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you have Mm -hmm. the political option to use the political tools you've been given to hold back unborn children from staggering towards slaughter and speak Mm -hmm. up for them, then you should do that. That is the right thing. So that's that's what was my message to Tim Keller is actually, Tim, we can tell our brothers and sisters, how to vote and not vote. Um, and I think, I think mm-hmm. those Bible verses are, are right there. You know, if, if you don't well, use Well, and we voice, have an obligation. Yeah. yeah. It isn't as simple as, uh, you know, the church just wants to sit back and say, hey, we're just going to be neutral on this because, you know, the gospel. I just, it, it makes me feel a little on the queasy side whenever I hear uh, Christian leaders encourage people who they have influence with. And that is the shame of this, right? It is that uh, Pastor Tim Keller and so many other pastors have been given by God an incredible opportunity to influence uh, the hearts and minds of people to actually be able to make a difference. And instead, what we've done is we've silenced them. We've What we've done is we've trained our churches toward apathy right. and away from politics. And uh, I think, you know, as I, I was talking to uh, some of the speakers back in the green room at, at Comeback California, I think I told you this too. It was such a a thrill for me to be around people of faith, people who love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and aren't afraid to actually get out into the culture and say, our faith should impact the culture. And if the culture is impacting our faith, something is wrong. So I hope you guys are enjoying this interview with Seth Gruber. I'm going to go ahead and uh, end it today because Seth and I are going to continue this conversation on Monday. And I think one of the big takeaways, at least for me, and I hope this is true for you guys too, is we're not here to talk about this stuff for the fun of it. We're really here to encourage you guys to move you from a place of apathy to action and to say it's time, it's time, it's time, it's past time. Uh, get off the bench and onto the battlefield. Uh, as always, we thank you so much for listening to the podcast, please be sure to leave reviews for the show over at iTunes and uh, for our books as well at Amazon or any place that books are sold. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can do that by writing to me, Heidi St. John, care of the Heidi St. John podcast, 11100 Northeast 34th Circle, Vancouver, Washington, 98682. Have a great weekend, everybody. And I'll see you back here on Monday for part two of my interview with Seth Gruber. For more encouragement, visit me online at thebusymom.com.